Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Nadia Gritza, Professor of Civil Engineering and Agriculture and Biological Engineering at Purdue University. Dr. Gritza specializes in transportation and infrastructure systems and leads Purdue's Sustainable Transportation Systems Research Group, which is a multidisciplinary collaborative dedicated to assessing the direct and indirect impacts of proposed transportation solutions and emerging technologies. It's one of those emerging technologies that's the subject of our conversation today. Dr. Gritza is leading a team that is independently evaluating a new product developed by Holsim, a global building materials and concrete company, and Magment, which is a German startup that is developing wireless charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. So in partnership, Holsim and Magment are envisioning a world where EVs can recharge by simply driving over magnetized concrete eliminating the need for separate charging stations and potentially reducing the need for larger batteries in order to combat range anxiety. So to me, this sounds like the coolest thing ever. I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, But fortunately, we have Dr. Gritza. She and her team are the ones who are actually investigating if and how this can work in the real world. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about this. Uh, Please stay with us. Hi, Nadia, and welcome to Resources Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Christine. Uh, Thank you for having me. Of course. So, as I mentioned, you're a professor of engineering. Uh, I think we've had a few engineers on Resources Radio, but it is something a little bit different for us. And so, can you just say a little bit about what drew you to the field of engineering and how you became interested in transportation technologies in particular? Sure. Uh, so I have been told by my parents that I picked up engineering since I was probably six or seven years old. Okay. Uh, but I never thought of becoming a professor um, until after I received my PhD. Uh, so I chose uh, transportation engineering as my concentration area in my fourth year of undergraduate studies. I did my mm-hmm. degree at the National Technical University of Athens in Greece, and that's a five-year degree program, and there are several uh, specialization areas. So I really like transportation uh, because of its interdisciplinary nature. Um, Mm -hmm. You can work on planning, operations, management of different transportation modes and systems. And you also need to think of the users, the people, their preferences, which really intrigues me. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way of characterizing sort of all the things that it brings together. Uh, I can imagine that that allows for a lot of intellectual interests for you to pursue those in lots of different ways. So it sounds great. So we're here today to talk about the analysis that you and your team are doing on, as I mentioned, on a joint uh, wholesome magment magnetized concrete product. <laughs> I hope I've characterized that correctly, but I would welcome uh, just starting with a kind of an introductory conversation. Can you tell us just a little bit more about what the product is, what it's made of, and what it's designed to do? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background. So I started working on transportation electrification and technologies more than a decade ago, and I find it to be a fascinating area to work on. And and, and this is a very promising technology uh, to battle uh, climate change. Mm-hmm. So, so this particular technology involves slabs uh, made with magnetizable concrete instead of mm-hmm. just the plain concrete uh, that we all know. And there's an embedded coil 
and we um, circulate a high frequency current and we generate a magnetic field. That field is then picked up by a compatible coil on an electric vehicle. So that mm-hmm. vehicle is retrofitted with a coil and converts it back to electricity. And that can power the motor directly or charge the battery. Hmm. Okay. Okay. How novel is this technology? Of course, as I mentioned you know, at the beginning, this just sounds like the coolest, most futuristic thing ever to me. But of course, I imagine it's not. I imagine it's actually been evolving behind the scenes for some time. So where does the technology stand in its in its sort of development stage or perhaps even in its in its use stage in, in other areas? Can you say a little bit more about that? Yes. So this specific technology, as you mentioned, can enable electric vehicles to charge as they drive over the pavement and can really <laughs> help, you know, with range anxiety. And, and, and the, the goal is to bring the charge to the vehicles rather than the vehicle stopping at charging stations. Mm-hmm. So this wireless power transfer technology has been uh, here for a while, uh, and mm-hmm. there are some standards in place for stationary uh, wireless charging uh, stations, let's say. Mm-hmm. But uh, these in-motion dynamic solutions that we are investigating are currently under development, and specifically for those high-speed, high-power applications, like the ones mm-hmm. we're standing uh, for Indiana. Uh, but others, um, more lower power, lower speed. So when vehicles, for example, electric buses, at terminal stops or taxis, ride hailing services in intermodal facilities or parking facilities, those technologies exist now and they're hmm, used. Okay. And how, uh, what is the sort of cost or challenge associated with that retrofitting process that you mentioned? I didn't realize that that was, that was part of this as well. So uh, is that a complicated effort? Is that a fairly straightforward effort? Um it, it's pretty straightforward. There are products out there right now uh, for mm-hmm. electric vehicles. Um, so, and, and that's something that the OEMs uh, have been looking at. So they are producing EVs with the retrofit and without, pretty much. Mm. Okay. Okay. So how did you and your fellow researchers at Purdue actually get involved in studying this product and its you know, potential applications? Um, it sounds like you're brought into this coalition to really sort of help ground this. And so I'd be curious how you originally got involved. And then I'd love to hear more about what research you're particularly undertaking at this point. Uh, sure. So our involvement with uh, this in-road, in-pavement charging solutions began under an engineering uh, research center funded by the National Science Foundation. Uh, This center is called ASPIRE, and it stands for Advancing Sustainability Through Powered Infrastructure for Roadway Electrification, a mouthful, I would say. Uh, But (laughs) ASPIRE is a partnership between several universities. Um, Here in the U.S., it's led by Utah State University, and also University of Auckland in New Zealand is our international partner. The center has a mission to advance sustainable, electrified, and equitable transportation. So as part of the center, our goal is to develop these charging technologies for electric vehicles and ultimately accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles by eliminating the barriers that we talked about, you know, charging access, range, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are you testing these days? Are you actually a site for kind of the construction of, of test pads or um, what, are you, what are you looking at in particular? Yeah, so, so for me, I lead one of the research thrusts in the center. It's called adoption. So we look specifically in the technical and societal aspects that would impact market acceptance and adoption of, of mm-hmm. electric vehicles and specifically dynamic wireless charging. Uh, we're looking into... Um, 
communities and, and users' concerns about safety or cost mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. But my colleagues, as you mentioned, at Purdue, uh, we are doing quite a bit of uh, testing and analysis and optimization to make sure uh, the product would work. And a subsequent phase of this project would involve the construction of a quarter mile long test bed, which will test the concrete's capacity to charge a heavy duty vehicle. So we're looking at trucks, uh, 200 kilowatts and above. And, and that would be this, the first application at high power and on highway speeds. Okay. And you've mentioned the speed several times, which is something I hadn't really thought about, but are there particular challenges with charging at high speed compared to low speed? Does it change the either the sort of volume of concrete needed or um, you can tell I'm not an engineer, but uh, but but how does the, the need to go at highway speed change the product design? Uh, it, it really affects uh, the amount of power we need to transfer to the vehicle. And mm-hmm. we are looking not only specifically charge the batteries, but give enough power so the vehicle can continue moving. Uh, in terms okay. of constructability, uh, we're looking both uh, understanding how that work in concrete and also asphalt pavements. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, well, we've also talked several times or referenced several times uh, the barriers to EV adoption in the U.S. I think, you know, there are, there are promising signs. Certainly EVs are experiencing greater adoption already, but they are still I would say relatively high cost compared to internal combustion engine vehicles. And at the moment, there's a less than robust network of charging stations. Although again, it seems to be you know expanding um, rapidly and we'll come back to that in a second. But my understanding is that you know in order for the sort of ranges of several hundred miles, uh, the kinds of sort of, I'll, I'll refer to them as road trip ranges, let's say, that would allow an EV to be competitive with an internal combustion engine car. Um, batteries have definitely gotten more efficient, but they've also gotten larger and more expensive. Is, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so as you mentioned, as the U.S. specifically transitions to electrified transportation, uh, there's still many challenges. That's the ones you mentioned. And, and we are aware that electric vehicles and initial cost of owning them is, is really cost prohibitive for some user groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so affordability is one of the things we want to look at at Aspire and how we can make you know, EVs available to everyone. And that's where we see more of a second-used EV market uh, on mm. the rise now that would lower the cost and, and make that available for, for everyone. Additionally, this specific technology we're looking at can reduce the size of the battery. And that mm-hmm. you know, will immediately reduce the cost, uh, which is very important both for you know, private and also commercial vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically for commercial vehicles, smaller batteries will help them carry more cargo. So that mm-hmm. means more revenue. And if we end up building this, you know, electrified roadway infrastructure that is shared among all vehicle class, that would really benefit electrified long-haul tracking and will bring additional benefits in terms of economic development, air quality reductions and so forth. That is very interesting. So thank you for sort of talking through the kind of specific impacts that might have on the market, because it does seem like you've, you've confirmed that that would, in fact, you know, if this, if this network of magnetized concrete charging availability were robust enough, that means that these vehicles could, in fact, have smaller batteries. And 
it sounds like the batteries, or again, my understanding is that the batteries really are, at least to date, one of the most expensive parts. So that reduction in batteries would reduce overall costs and, and you know, potentially really change the market dynamics for, for EV adoption. Um, this is all sounding very rosy, uh, but I imagine there are actually quite, quite a few challenges in actually deploying the technology at scale. Um, so what would it take to have uh, such a product really make inroads? pun intended, in the in the U.S. Um, are there specific places that might be better suited to this than others? Do you see this as a as a substitute for charging stations, or is it a complement? Um, I must admit I have a hard time envisioning the U.S. sort of tearing up its roads and installing this everywhere, and yet we are at a moment where, um, where the, the U.S. is looking quite closely at infrastructure. So I'd be curious what you think about the likelihood and the possibilities here. Yeah, thank you for, for the question. Uh, so absolutely, we don't envision 100% of the roads being electrified, but we see this uh, the potential for wireless charging pavement technology as complementary to an expanding network of EV charging stations that we will see very soon um, here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel it would be useful in areas where charging stations are scarce, what we call charging deserts in mm-hmm. underserved communities, Um kind of even helping support transit routes where, you know, initial charging at the depots and terminal stations might not be enough and they might need some charging in between the routes. So we want to optimize the network to make sure we don't invest in too many charging stations that are not utilized Mm -hmm. most of the time. But at the same time, we are also screening the network. And and that's one thing we do for um, the Indiana DOT Department of Transportation, where we want to identify those charging deserts and advise the states where they should invest uh, so these technologies are utilized. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, too, in the context of how much how much money is included in the bipartisan infrastructure law and how much I feel like the U.S. is about to invest in infrastructure. So there does seem like there's a moment here where um, we have a lot of opportunity related to infrastructure development, but... Uh, I guess I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, in that context, does the bipartisan infrastructure law allow for any additional technology experimentation? Is it is it really focused on EV charging stations? And I guess do we run the risk? Maybe is the way I should phrase it. Of do we run the risk of sort of locking ourselves into one technology when it sounds like there are other options, more complementary options that might become available? So that's a lot of questions all bundled into one. But but I am curious how you think about this moment in terms of the investments that the U.S. is is getting ready to make. Yeah. First of all, I think this is much needed funding uh, to accelerate adoption of electric vehicles. We've seen um, that having that infrastructure available will help drive adoption. And having those parallel efforts to provide the infrastructure that would make drivers confident about owning an EV, especially now that we've seen EV sales grew uh, by 85%, you know, mm-hmm. during the last year, it's mm-hmm. very important. Uh, we, we There is some discretionary funding um, in the bill that we hope we that can support this type of demonstration projects and pilots that are very important so we can scale the technologies for widespread uh, adoption. So mm-hmm. as part of Aspire, our goal is to continue the implementation of those quarter mile or half mile test beds that ultimately can grow into longer corridor wide implementation of the technology. And, and besides the test bed I mentioned in Indiana that we're involved with, Aspire uh, has seen growing interest in the technology from other states and partners. And, and mm-hmm. I can name a few. 
For example, in Utah, the Utah State University received funding from the state um, to implement high-power stationary wireless charging technology for heavy-duty vehicles in their uh, Utah inland port. Uh, in Florida, Central Florida Expressway plans to invest in the construction of a one-mile test bed uh, in motion wireless charging technology west of Orlando. So for your listeners who are going to visit Disney World anytime soon, they might start seeing the construction. And and that's what we want to provide this roadmap for that rollout of this technology nationwide. Very interesting. I would love to head to Disneyland and also check that out. That sounds like a great a great joint trip that's going on the list. Um, that makes me curious too. Are there places in other parts of the world where this technology has been, you know, is sort of already in more robust testing stages? So there have been a lot of efforts, um, both in Asia and Europe, a lot of pilot studies, especially in Europe, uh, looking at this technology, but most as, as an experimental uh, stage. Mm-hmm. But we've mm-hmm. seen, uh, for example, Magment uh, is a, a German company, Electron, mm-hmm. um, another uh, also a member of Aspire who has uh, different uh, pilots in Europe, Israel, uh, UK, and so forth. And and we've seen in Asia and Korea and, and other places. So uh, definitely there's an interest and we all want to learn from each other's uh, mm-hmm. pilots and, and move this technology forward. Mm-hmm. Another sort of spontaneous question for you, but it sounds like Aspire is a really interesting combination of um, not only... Well, I guess I'd characterize it as a public-private partnership, if that's fair. But certainly there are, you know, government entities that are uh, looking at your research results. There are obviously academics, such as yourself. There are industries who are feeding in information. Do you think that's a particularly important... I feel like I'm feeding you the answer here, but how would you characterize the importance of those sort of public-private partnerships in this kind of research? Yes, absolutely. Um Aspire provides this kind of innovation ecosystem uh, that we engage with the broader stakeholder community. And you named, uh, you know, the key players, the government, the utilities, obviously those who develop the technology. So we have a wide industrial innovation board that participates in this wide range of activities with the research partner projects, public-private partnership pilots, and that's something you'll see in Florida and else. But we are also exploring those business models. Mm -hmm. What would be the role of the public sector, the private sector? Who drives what? Who operates what? Who maintains the facility? So there are some very interesting questions there. And and once we bring all these stakeholders together, we'll see, you know, that transformation that we're looking for, both in the automotive, transportation, and electric grid industries. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned early on that, um, you know, that Aspire or the, the group that you work with is looking across all of these different factors that will make this successful. So it's really not just about getting the product right, but it's about consumer acceptance and, as you point out, sort of the the um, management or administrative ecosystem in which all of these pieces are happening. So yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. So what should our listeners be on the lookout for then in terms of either your research results in particular, or, you know, you mentioned that there are going to be longer and longer test beds, but are there other next steps that folks can be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, so we already have uh, initial results on the financial feasibility of this technology that I know a lot of people uh, have been asking about. 
And our results indicate that long-term, the investment is feasible and, and both for public and, and private owners, operators, uh, direct benefits to both, but also indirect benefits to the broader economy and society, uh, communities benefiting by reduced pollution, improved quality of life, uh, economic development, especially for rural and underserved areas. We will also have some preliminary results to show of the testing we are conducting right now uh, on <coughs> Purdue uh, this spring and with the construction of the test bed the following summer. And our partners in Utah and Florida, as I mentioned, also follow a similar timeline. So we should be able to share more results soon. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, we might have to get you back for a, a repeat visit then. Uh, it certainly would be interesting to know how everything's evolving. But but this has been great. I really, I really appreciate your taking the time to sort of share a little bit more about these developments, um, put them in context with what's happening in the U.S. with the infrastructure bill, and yeah, just share something new and it sounds like quite promising um, for our listeners to, to think about. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. So let's close um, with our regular feature, Top of the Stack. And uh, yeah, I did want to ask you, Nani, if there's anything you'd want to recommend. And I, I always caveat for our guests, you know, that can certainly be content on the topic that we're talking about. I imagine there's a lot of interesting stuff out there about emerging technologies in the transportation space. But of course, it can also be anything else that's on the top of your stack that you might want to recommend. So I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. And I, I would hate to disappoint your listeners, but right now, <laughs> at this time of year, top of my stack, I have a PhD dissertation, a yep. couple of research papers that I need to review. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Great. my students can graduate in, in May. Uh, but I hope, I'll definitely hope I'll catch up with reading books and, and more fun uh, things over the summer. And I will certainly be tuning in to hear book recommendations from your guests. Oh, great. Okay. Well, we will always post those. And uh, yes, I'm sure that PhD student will pass his or her dissertation with fine colors. And maybe we'll look for that too someday. <laughs> so, well, thank you again. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll look forward to hearing more about how this technology is evolving. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode. <laughs>